Global Connections Television is a privately funded, independently produced program. The opinions expressed on Global Connections are solely those of the moderator and his guests. We invite you to go to the website at www.globalconnectionstelevision.com to view previous shows. If you are involved with a PBS or community access television station or an educational institution that has an intra-campus television hookup or perhaps a podcast or just a computer and would like to share the programs, please feel free to do so. Global Connections is provided at no cost to help people in the U.S. and worldwide better understand how international issues impact our lives. Welcome to today's Global Connections program. I'm Bill Miller. Today we're going to be talking about trade weapons, especially sanctions, and see if they work when applied against different countries like China, Russia, or North Korea. My guest is an expert on this topic. Mr. Ken Hayden is a former Australian government trade official and a senior member of the OECD Secretariat and a visiting fellow at the London School of Economics. His latest book is The Trade Weapon, How Weaponizing Trade Threatens Growth, Public Health, and the Climate Transition. His earlier works include The Rise of Bilateralism, plus the Ashgate Research Companion in International Trade Policy. Caden, welcome to today's Global Connections program. Thank you very much. I, I appreciate you being with me. Thank you so much. We're going to get into your book in just a minute, but let's just for a moment talk about OECD, the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. Uh, what is that? Uh, just very briefly, the mission, and when was it formed? Okay, well, um, OECD is an international policy uh, setting body. Uh, it has a secretariat to prepare papers that are discussed in committees. Uh, and this is the key thing. The committees are made up of government officials from the member countries. So if uh, something is, is accepted, there's a pretty good chance that it will become government policy. And over the years, this has led to some very important international norms, like the polluter pays principle, um, more recently principles for taxing multi multinational enterprises. So some pretty important work comes out because of this link between the analysis and the involvement of, of government officials. Um, OECD began life after the Second World War as the Organization for European Economic Cooperation and um, was then broadened and now has 38 members, including uh, shortly uh, Indonesia and Mexico. So it's predominantly the advanced economies, but it is very closely engaged with, with non-members and with various international bodies, uh, particularly UN bodies. Mm -hmm. That was my next question. Thank you. <laughs> you led me right, right into it. What, how do you interact with the United Nations? And, and I know there are a lot of UN bodies, UN Conference on Trade and Development, uh, just on across the board, UN Development Program. But generally speaking, how, is, how do you interact with them? Well, there's pretty uh, close link, for example, with, with UNCTAD, the UN Conference on Trade and Development. Uh, and just to give one example of that, some years ago, uh, OECD did work applying the rules of trade for goods to trade and services. Developing countries were uh, somewhat uh, apprehensive about this, so OECD worked very closely 
with UNCTAD to um, to engage with developing countries. Um, currently, OECD has close links with the G20 process, often prepares papers for discussion by the G20, uh, which in turn has very close links with, with various UN bodies, as well as the World Bank, IMF, and World Trade Organization. Yes. Well, let me, before I forget it, let me mention if our viewers would like more information, then go to www.oecd.org and learn much more about this very interesting international organization and a very important one, too. And you mentioned the United Nations. Some of these bodies were set up immediately after World War II or shortly before the war ended, like with the United Nations, NATO, the OECD, and just a variety of others. And of course, if our viewers would like information on the UN, they can go to www.un.org. Well, I appreciate that overview. Let's jump into your book, The Trade Weapon, How Weaponizing Trade Threatens Growth, Public Health, and the Climate Transition. What is what is the trade weapon you're referring to? Uh, the trade weapon involves um, government intervention, government restrictions on imports and exports and extensive use of state-funded subsidies. And there are two key elements to the weaponization of trade in, in using those interventions. One is that the measures are usually applied on a unilateral basis, not within the framework of an international organization. Um, and the second is that they are the measures are invoked in the name of goals that go beyond trade, um, which we'll, I'm sure we'll get onto, but it, it's outside the realm of trade. It's in effect using hijacking trade policy in the service of other objectives. The problem being, um, it's not a very effective way of dealing with those objectives. Mm -hmm. And what are what are a couple of examples of this application of this trade weapon that it's really uh, counterproductive? Well, um, let's take a very a very recent one. Um, one of the um, motivations of using the trade weapon is to try and secure. Uh, one's position in the global value chain. And the United States has extensively restricted exports, particularly of uh, semiconductors, of chips, to China, um, seeing China clearly as a, um, a threat in, in this area. But um, the latest uh, smartphone from Huawei, uh, which has just been released, somehow uses precisely the semiconductor that the United States has, has banned the export of to China. So restrictions of this nature deny the country applying the restrictions, the opportunities to export, and are more likely to stimulate innovation in the target country, which is precisely what has happened in, in this case. Mm-hmm. Now, in this whole discussion, I mentioned sanctions in the opening. It seems like that the toolkits that the various countries and organizations have, they have a variety of, of um, items they can apply, I guess, against a country. For example, North Korea comes to mind. Uh, the United Nations has applied sanctions against North Korea 
We've seen uh, the U.S. has applied sanctions against China, North Korea, Iran, <laughs> just on across the board, it seems like. But do these do the sanctions uh, actually work? And if they don't, what what would be an alternative to applying sanctions? What can be done to help get a another country to basically they're trying to we're tr trying to make them think the same way we do it which may or may not work but what what can be done to replace the sanction okay well um your first question um do they work one has to conclude that by and large they don't work they certainly don't work uh, very well you mentioned the sanctions against north korea um, in view of its nuclear weapons program. These sanctions have been applied for many years now. The result is that Kim Jong-un can now make a nuclear strike anywhere in North America. The sanctions have not slowed down uh, his program. Uh, the, the sanctions against Vladimir Putin for his invasion of Ukraine have not changed his behavior. And there are many examples. You also mentioned sanctions against Iran. So they tend not to be effective, and there are a number of reasons for that. Um, <clears throat> one is the ability of the target country to withstand pain, the ability of the target country to impose pain, and very important, the expectation of future conflict. Um, if a target country thinks that there's a pretty good chance of, of confrontation continuing, they're less likely to comply with the sanctions because that will reduce their bargaining position in those future confrontations. So conf confrontation expectation is, is pretty important. W what can be done? For most of the trade weapons that I talk about, I'm suggesting alternatives, do something else. Sanctions is a little bit different because there is a moral compunction, a moral obligation to do something. So I'm not saying get rid of sanctions, but a, an important requirement is that the stick of sanctions be accompanied by the carrot of classic diplomacy. So you have you don't rely entirely on these sanctions, which are not particularly effective. Um, so again, coming back to the example of North Korea, a deal was almost reached under the presidency of Donald Trump, I think in February 2020, when the US was offering infrastructure development um, for the um, development of, of North Korea's transport system, infrastructure, basically. Kim Jong-un came pretty close to accepting that, and as a condition, uh, would have slowed down or abandoned aspects of his nuclear weapons program. Um, Ukraine is very, very difficult, and I don't claim to have the answers, but part of the answer has to be, I think, an assurance to Russia about Ukraine's status. It may mean something short of full membership of NATO, um, but clearly this is a matter that would require intense diplomatic negotiation the key thing is not to rely entirely on sanctions, but to, to draw on classic diplomacy um, to improve the chances that sanctions might in fact work or that the promise of withdrawing sanctions 
might be more effective. You're absolutely right. There was an opportunity. There was also one during George W. Bush's administration, and he scotched that deal. And so that took care of that. Well, we're going to come back and talk about these in just a moment. Well, you're watching yes. Global Connections Television, which is a privately funded, independently produced program. The opinions expressed on Global Connections are solely those of the moderator and his guest. We'd invite our viewers to go to our website at www.globalconnectionstelevision.com to view previous programs. Also, if you're involved with a PBS or community access television station, or perhaps an educational institution that has an intra-campus television hookup, or you have a podcast, or you just have a computer, you like our shows, you'd like to share them, please feel free to do so. Global Connections Television is provided at no cost as a public service to help us better understand international issues and how they impact our lives. Today, we're going to be taking a look at that broad area of trade and what is most effective as far as trying to work with other countries. My guest is an expert on this topic. Mr. Ken Hayden is a former Australian government trade official and senior member of the OECD Secretariat and a visiting fellow at the London School of Economics. His latest book is The Trade Weapon, How Weaponizing Trade Threatens Growth, Public Health, and the Climate Transition. You were talking about uh, some situations where we had a chance to, to broker a deal with the North Koreans. Uh, we've. It seems like history is littered with failed uh, applications of sanctions. The U.S. has had a sanction on Cuba, a trade embargo, for decades now. It's been a total failure. It's embarrassed the United States at the U.N. Every year, most of the countries at the U.N., our friends, our allies, vote against us, and it's counterproductive. It's not working, and it should be changed. I know President Obama tried to do it, but then things went awry on that. We saw not long ago the Iranian nuclear deal, which was working. We were actually containing Iran's nuclear ambitions until former President Trump broke the deal, saying that he was going to come back and broker a new deal, which he didn't do. It uh, never happened. It never will happen, probably. But anyway, those are just two examples of failures. I'm not just picking on the United States, but I just know these much better. But do these countries, do they, do they learn? I know a lot has to do with the politics. Obviously, it depends on which political party is in control and what your priorities are. But do these countries, do they learn from this or do they seem to be falling into this trap even more and more? I think, um, as I say, the a key element here is what the broad expectations of the country are about future relations. And the Korean Peninsula is a very good example of this. Uh, South Korea itself had a proposed nuclear program. Um, but in that case, um, discussion about sanctions was effective. Um, and a key reason for that was South Korea had strong positive relations with the US, with Europe, and didn't have this expectation of future conflict and didn't have the concern to hamstring its future negotiating ability, quite different to the situation with North Korea, where the expectation of conflict has made it so much more difficult to make sanctions work. So I think that is a, a key element. Mm -hmm. 
You mentioned that so often we have to go through the traditional negotiation process, and I think you're absolutely right, but what about a country, or not a country, but an organization like the United Nations? Uh, if you start off the UN, they start off with maybe a letter from the secretary general or somebody condemning the actions of a particular country. Uh, then they might move to the next level, which I don't know the exact hierarchy of penalties, but uh, sanctions may come up fairly quickly. And then, of course, way down on the bottom is actual military intervention or UN peacekeeping, which UN does not get involved in. Uh, they have to be invited into these countries before they just go in. It's not a one world government. But what would an organization like the United Nations uh, do? I know the UN pushes for negotiations uh, to resolve issues peacefully and to sit down and talk about them, because in the end, that's the only way you're going to be able to work it out without having yeah. maybe some kind of physical uh, military exchange. Well, one example of this, um, where again, sanctions have been tried, but so far without success, is Western concern about China's treatment of its Uyghur minority in mm -hmm. Xinjiang. Um, opportunity exists there um, for engagement of the World Bank uh, to provide assistance to uh, the people of this, this region um, in uh, cooperation with, with Chinese authorities. So mm -hmm. sanctions might be maintained with the promise of their of their easing, but to complement that action with, in this case, infrastructure investment organized through the World Bank, may be a more uh, fruitful way of, of proceeding rather than putting all the eggs in the basket of, of sanctions, which so far have not been successful in changing, in this case, the behavior uh, of the Chinese government. You mentioned in the title of your book that trade threatens growth and public health and the climate transition. What is an example of maybe how the public health is uh, impacted? I, when I think of this, I think of the COVID-19 disaster that we've, we've kind of gone through a little bit. We're still dealing with it. Uh, how does that impact like with the COVID-19 medicine?